Welcome back to the Monica Matthews Show. Life, love, and liberty all seem to be under assault at the moment. Our lives, for certain, love, and definitely our liberty. And someone that the American people, as well as people from all over the globe, have, um, gosh, have taken to uh, in droves for the sake of of freedom and and Christ-likeness and sanity is a man that we're no stranger to here in the States, for sure, championing the cause of freedom, um, our constitutional uh, rights, and that would be Mr. Lynn Wood. Lynn, welcome to my show. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it, Monica. And I, I want to say I also appreciate what you've done for me on Telegram. Uh, people can't reply to me because Telegram shut down my reply chat because people were posting pornographic sites and other things on there, and it just simply became unmanageable. And I know you have been posting a lot of my messages, and uh, your your followers are replying to you, really, to me, and I try to keep up with it. And so I like to hear from the people that are interested in what I have to say, and you have facilitated that, and I appreciate it very much. You are quite welcome. It is my honor to do so. I have to tell you, um, all right, guys, th- this conversation is I asked Lynn to come on because we all know that uh, Lynn has been under fire for uh, tweets about the vice, the, our former Vice President Pence, as well as Chief Justice Roberts. Um, there was evidence that was brought to you, Lynn, and you brought that to the public to say, hey, we've got some traitorous, treasonous activity going on in the White House, and, uh, and this needs to be dealt with according to the law, because of that, you've been under enormous fire since then, people questioning your sanity. Um, you know, ultimately, it comes down to what I believe is telling the truth is always going to cost you something. I did not bring you on to talk about all of that. My my followers are very familiar with the fire that you're in, and all of us kind of feel like we're in it with you. And so I wanted to bring you on to talk about the thing that sustains you, that has made you the man you are which is an our champion for freedom, which is your relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want to start there because that seems to be what is uh, your stabilizing force in a world of destabilization right now. And I mean the world. When I talk to my cousin in Germany and he, I say your name and he gets like a schoolgirl, <laughs> like he's excited because he, he follows you and he feels like your voice is something that is going to help Germany that's a big deal, and I see Christ written all over that. Can you walk us through a little bit of how you actually came to the Lord and when? What did that look like? Well, I can tell you, I've had people ask me if I went to theology school. I did not. I went to law school. <laughs> I came to know God when I was a teenager. Uh my childhood was a childhood of domestic violence, but it was kind of an up and down cycle. My family would become 
very involved in the church. And then they dropped back into my parents, the cycle of alcohol and physical fights. Uh, I think the church during my teens was the place of refuge. And I loved it. I sang. Uh, I, I actually, when I was 14, I gave uh, the sermon on youth night at Sherlington Baptist Church. And folks left there that night and said, you know, you've been touched by God to be a preacher. And I, even in at 14, I said, well, I'm going to be a lawyer. Maybe I'm a little bit of a lawyer and a little bit of a preacher. But I, I feel like that I turned my back on God at age 16 when my mother died. My father beat her to death. He went to prison. She went to the morgue. I was on my own. I felt alone. But I knew that I had the, the, the free will and drive to, to make it. That's why I love America, because in any other country in the world, I would not have found the success that I found in America. The opportunities America has given me has blessed me, and I feel like I have an obligation to fight for liberty for other people. I didn't realize until I was 66 that God didn't leave me even when I was 16. He was with me. He was carrying me through those years. And so at 66, when I underwent uh, an eye procedure uh, for a macular hole that's degenerative that threatens the vision in my left eye. Part of the process was the surgery, which has a high success rate, and the follow-up care requires you to bow your head, in effect, and keep your head lowered for up to 10 days to 14 days. And I went overboard, figuring that the better I did my rehab, the better the outcome, and the outcome seems to have been good. But in the process, Monica, I started uh, realizing for the first time in my life, because of the degenerative condition that threatened my eyesight, I started realizing that I was mortal. I think we all tend to go through life thinking we're going to live forever, and we, we know death's out there, but we think about it as something that happens to somebody else. Uh, and so at 66, God tapped me on the shoulder, and I sat there, and I tried to say, well, what's the sense of this now that I know that I'm going to die? in this world. My life was a lot of craziness, a lot of sin. I did a lot of good things too, but it was a chaos if, if you really wanted to describe it. It wasn't tied together in my mind. You know, like, what was it all about? Mm -hmm. And then what was the future going to be like now that I realized I was mortal and could die at any moment, heart attack the next day, two weeks later, cancer. I said, you know, what is the sense of this? What was the purpose of all this? And so I started by asking myself the question with my head bowed. It had to be because of the bubble they put in your eye to, to fill up the, the, where the vitreous fluid is in your eye, where they drain it for the surgery. Mm -hmm. And I asked myself the question, is God real? And I went through the kind of the same analysis that I've done as a lawyer, where I, I try to apply my common sense. And I said, well, you know, what makes sense? What doesn't make sense? And I realized over the course of probably a day or two or three, maybe a little longer, I realized that the only thing that made perfect sense, that described everything and explained everything, is that God is real. And I realized that my past was planned. And I realized that my future was only to search for God's will, find it, and do it. It gave me a peace of mind that I'd never had before. 
And I found my faith from that point on in the 23rd Psalm. I read it every night. I still do. But I would take it line by line. And I would read the first line, the Lord is my shepherd. And I think about it. What does that mean? I shall not want. What does that mean? He makes me lie down in green pastures. What is he telling me? He leadeth me beside the still waters. And then I would read it line by line and think about it. These were promises that God made to King David. I didn't even know King David was worse than me. He had eight wives and nine kids. And, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you now, I had, I've had four wives. I'm not proud of my mistakes, but it's the truth and I face it. And then I would read the entire 23rd Psalm and I would go to bed. I don't read it line by line now, but I read it every night. Mm -hmm. Because the promises of God to King David, he's promised that to every one of us. We all walk through the valley of the shadow of death our entire lives on earth. Death is always out there looming. But he's with you. So that's where I found my faith at age 66. And that was about, what, two and a half years ago. I had the surgery, I believe, in August, uh, which would have been August of 2018. And it changed my life. It gave me peace of mind. And so I've since that time tried as best as I imperfectly can to search for God's will and to find it and then to do it, to obey it. People say, you know, the Bible says, fear God. That doesn't mean to be afraid of God. It means to revere him, to worship him, and obey him. So now every day when I get up, I don't mind telling you, I get on my knees and I ask God after I thank him for the blessing of another day, I ask him to tell me what to do today. Tell me every step you want me to take. And if I get off of the path, bump me back on. Mm -hmm. And then during the day, I pray occasionally, sometimes frequently. If I don't feel like the answer is kind of obvious to me, I'll ask God, what do you want me to do? He has a way of answering it every time. We pray sometimes too much and we listen too little. At night, I give him all the praise and all the glory. I pray to a lot of people, a lot of things. I get some rest. And then I get up the next day and I do it all over again. Jesus taught us to live one day at a time. He said, live in the moment, live for today, tomorrow will take care of itself. What did he mean by that? He meant that tomorrow is already planned. There's nothing you can do about it. So you live in the day trying to do God's will, knowing that God is in control, that God planned every detail of your life, just like he planned every detail of the world's life from beginning to end, Alpha to Omega. So that's how I found my faith, and it's changed my life. A lot of people don't like the way I, I, I live now. They don't agree with it. Uh, but God came, Jesus said he came to divide us. Father against son, son against father, five brothers and sisters, three against two, two against three, mother-in-law versus daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law versus mother-in-law. He came to divide us between believers and non-believers. So many times, 
when you believe in God, it makes people around you who do not believe in God uncomfortable. Jesus said, make them uncomfortable. Because as a follower of Jesus, you're supposed to share him. I don't get in people's face and go, I love Jesus. Why don't you love Jesus? I don't do that. Mm -hmm. But if somebody asks me, I tell them the truth about my faith because I'm proud of it. God is my perfect father, and I want to worship him. I want to praise him, and I don't mind telling that to other people. I'm proud of my perfect father. I want him to be proud of me. Amen. So recently you've come under... um you are in the crosshairs of the Georgia bar and they are attempting to force you into a mental evaluation in order to maintain your law license in the state of Georgia. And just last evening you had, you, you took to telegram to tell everyone that you were going to take the evening off and you were going to consult with your Heavenly Father, and you're going to rest in him and seek answers about how or if you would proceed. And and then you you quoted scriptures, you, you shared scriptures with us, and I was watching the comments from all over the world, and people were like, you know, keep up the fight, don't, you know, don't give in, we're with you. Uh, people have really, people see the persecution that you are suffering personally as part of their personal persecution as well. I can attest to that in my own personal life. Um, what do you say to the tens of thousands of emails that you've gotten? And I know you've been busy going through them. Um, what do you say to those people? How, how has that support helped you in making your decision um, when taking your case before our father to ask for his wisdom, because in your, in your, in your Psalm, Lynn, in Psalm 23, it says, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, and thou anointest my head with oil and my cup runneth over. So a lot of times people are afraid, and especially in these days to approach their enemies. Um, People are running for their lives because they're afraid of losing their life or their livelihood or their families or, or their reputation. And so how did you come to the conclusion that you're going to move forward with standing your ground on behalf of your own constitutional rights? Well, if I was in a courtroom with you right now, I would object to your question as compound. (laughs) Well, what does that mean? (laughs) You got a lot, you got a lot of questions inside of one. Okay. And so let me try to go through, and, and, and I'm, I'm kidding you when I say that, <laughs> because you've touched on a lot of issues, and I want to make sure I cover them, and I might forget some of the things you mentioned in the okay. beginning part of your question. Okay. Let me, let me address first the, the question of the emails that I received. Mm-hmm. I, I, I pray, I don't, listen, I don't get on a soapbox and tell people how to live, but I'm not ashamed of how I live. I'm a truth giver. I told a lie my first year in law school. I don't think I've ever told a lie since then. I live a life of truth. That plagued me. God allowed me to do that, probably made the decision for me to do that, to teach me a lesson. And I learned it. Mm -hmm. So while I had sin in my life, I also had a life 
before I found Jesus that had a lot of good things in it. I helped other people. I never sought money. I made money, but I wasn't driven by money. I never sought recognition. I received recognition, but I didn't seek it. So when I try to look at my life now, on balance, I understand exactly what God was doing. He was teaching me the benefits of doing good, and he was teaching me how to learn from sin. He was preparing me so that when he tapped me on the shoulder and I said yes, and I surrendered my whole life to him, he then completed the process of making me exactly into the person that he created me to be to fulfill the task that he created for me to perform in my life. So when I see the persecution, Mm -hmm. I know that others that love God and Jesus, they're going to be persecuted. The Bible, I believe you'll find, and I think you would say the same thing, every word in the Bible is true. Amen. Every word. And the Bible teaches that if you follow Jesus, I said earlier, you're supposed to share him. It also tells you that you shall be persecuted, not maybe, you shall be persecuted. So it comes with the territory. So I'm not surprised about it. And the more you're, as we say, over the target with the truth, the more you're going to be persecuted. Mm -hmm. Now, we're persecuted by other people. But what's the real battle? Ephesians 6, which, by the way, is the verse I chose for my sermon when I was 14. Oh, wow. To put on the whole armor of God. That's where you learn about how to deal with attack. You look at them first and realize it's not your family member. It's not uh, your political opponent. The, The battle is not of flesh. The battle is between powers and principalities. It's between God and the devil, good versus evil. Mm -hmm. So when you realize that, it gives you a better understanding on how to deal with the battles in the flesh. You deal with them just like Ephesians 6 says. You put on the whole armor of God. You gird your loins with truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Ephesians 6 tells you how to deal with a satanic attack. That's how you deal with attacks in the real world, because the real world is a lie. When you find God, you learn that everything you were told, that supernatural only exists in comic books and television and movies, is a lie. God is supernatural. He's almighty God. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And then when you live in the spirit world with God, you will go to the kingdom. If you live in the real world without God, you will not see the kingdom of God. But what you have to do then is to exist in the real world with the understanding and analysis that's given to you from the spiritual world. So I'm not surprised by the attacks. The closer I get to the truth, the greater the devil's going to attack me. The more the devil thinks that I'm getting close to doing God's will, the more the devil is going to attack me. And he does it through people. Just like God works through his children. God says, his will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Think about what that means. His will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is going to be done. No man, no government, no ruler is going to affect God's will. It shall be done. He created this world. He controls this world. His will shall be done. He gets it done in large part through his children. He creates us. He assigns a task to us. At the right time, he taps us on the shoulder and says, time to go to work. If you say yes, he puts you to work. If he needs to step in, he's all powerful. He'll do it himself. But he loves it when his children help him. If you help do the will of God, if you help God, you'll see the kingdom of God. If you do not do his will and you do not help him, and in fact, if you do, in effect, the devil's work, you will not see the kingdom of God. Now, I think that that makes me probably in a minority of people. Mm -hmm. I don't count numbers because my relationship with God is individual to me. I do not question how other people live or other people's faith. But I know my faith and I know how strong it is and the persecutions that I undergo make my faith stronger. Every persecution is finite. And you never ask God, why are you putting me through this? He's not going to tell you, except he told us in the Bible that when he created you, he knew things of which you will never know. So you don't ask God why. You just ask him, what do you want me to do with this? And then wait on the Lord, and you'll find at the end of a persecution, you'll see how it works for good how it was really a blessing in disguise. It might make you closer in your relationship with God. It might be that it brings your children or your relatives or your friends into a closer relationship with God. But it always will be for good because God only acts for good. So I talk a little bit, and, and maybe a little bit too much, because people that read my, my Telegram used to read my Twitter, they can pick out an individual statement mm -hmm. and they can attack me because of their agenda. Right. I always say, look at the full body of my life's work as a lawyer before you jump on me in the present time and say I'm not a good lawyer or an honest lawyer. That's a lie. I'm an ethical, honest, good lawyer. But you could pull out a tweet and you could say, well, this, and I'm interpreting this this way. Woods, Woods attacking the vice president. Well, look at the full body of what I tweet. I used to tweet, and what I put now on Telegram, I talk about God. I talk about news events. I talk about my political feelings. I try to give advice to people to help them get through difficult times. And I put in pictures of my puppies. I put in pictures of the beautiful land that God has given me to live on. So judge me by the body of my life's work, both as a lawyer, as a person, and is even a commentator on social media. At the end of the day, people may say, well, I think Wood's got a bad reputation. I don't care. Mm -hmm. I'm not here to build a reputation with other people. I'm only here to build a reputation with my Father in heaven. As long as he thinks I'm doing right. As long as I said earlier, he's proud of me. If my reputation is good with God, it doesn't matter how it goes with other people on earth. 
So that gives me satisfaction and peace of mind. Am I perfect? No. I describe myself as perfectly imperfect. I don't run from my sins, nor will I run from my faith. So I want to help other people. America is good to me. I want to be good to the other people in this country and let them enjoy the same fresh air of liberty that I've enjoyed. I want my children to enjoy it. I want my grandchildren to enjoy it. It's a gift from God. My faith, I'm willing to share it because I want people to have the same peace of mind that passeth all understanding that God has given to me. People say, would thank these God. Listen, that's errant nonsense. I got into a dispute with my former people that I was practicing law with in an office sharing arrangement, and they were bothering, interfering with my relationship with my children, causing my children to not honor me and to actually work against me. And I told those lawyers then what I tell them now. You're not messing with Lynn Wood. You're messing with Almighty God. That wasn't to say that I'm God. That was to say that God is the one that set the commandments that says, honor thy father. And when you are messing with my children and causing them to violate that commandment, you're going to answer to Almighty God. So people take out of context what I said to attack me just like they take out of context what I say on social media to attack me. But I'm not going to be suppressed in my speech. I'm not going to be intimidated and cowered by their threats because I know I'm living a truthful life. And if you don't live a truthful life, if you don't face the good, the bad, and the ugly about your own life, you will not see the kingdom of God. You've got to accept the mistakes. You've got to accept the bad. You've got to accept the ugly because you've got to do it in order to ask for forgiveness. And if you don't face them, you can't ask to be forgiven. And if you're not forgiven, you will not see the kingdom of God. God is love. He understands everything about us, and he loves us. And he's always ready to forgive us if we sincerely ask him to. He's the perfect father. God is also truth. Live a life of truth. God is also good. Try to live a life of good. So I can't tell you how grateful I am that I found him at the time that I did. He actually found me. So I surrendered my life to him 100%. Am I perfect? No. I try my best to give him 100%. Surrender. Am I always able to do it? No, I'm imperfect. But I try as hard as I can to be perfect, knowing that I never will be, but knowing that he will forgive me for my imperfections. The only child of God that lived a perfect life was Jesus, born from an immaculate conception in the flesh. He was perfect, so he gave God, in effect, 100%. He surrendered 100% of his life to God because he was perfect. And God then lived on earth through Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. His life shows you exactly how God lives and wants you to live on this earth, how to act toward people, how to talk to people, how to love people, how to forgive people, how to try to heal people. Jesus was God on earth in the form of his son, his perfect son. God would like for all of us to be like that, but we're imperfect. 
some get closer to perfection than others. All we're required to do in my mind is the best we can. God understands. He doesn't expect perfection. Amen to that. I think you did very well answering my compound question, counselor. <laughs> I knew, I knew you, I knew you, I knew you were going to jab me back about that. I love you, mom. You're a wonderful person. You know. I know you're doing. I know you're doing God's work, and I know you try to help other people. <sighs> Remember what you you said. One thing I didn't comment on. God, as I understand it, and listen, it's my faith, and I try to make sure it's in conformity with the Bible. I don't believe in prosperous Christianity. God didn't say anything about prospering in this earth. I believe that we ought to follow the teachings of Jesus as set forth in the Bible, just like I think we ought to follow the statements in our Constitution, just like they're set forth in the Constitution, because it was based on God's law. Amen. That was made clear by our founding fathers. So, you look at your life and you think, well, is this about me? How am I going to make money? How am I going to survive for the next several days or weeks or years? Take I out of it. Because God promises you that he will meet your needs. Trust him. He'll even meet some of your wants because he wants you to be happy and enjoy this earth before you join him in heaven. So stop thinking about yourself. And focus on other people. Glorify God in your acts and in your words. And try to help other people, even strangers. That's the way Jesus lived. He loved all and he forgave all. So if we trust God, then we know that he will meet our needs. And we can then do on earth his will, which is to help other people. The one thing I don't think people realize, at least I didn't realize it until I surrendered my life to God, is that life on earth is one grain of sand. Mm -hmm. Eternity is every grain of sand above and below the water of every ocean in the world. So what does it mean to have wealth or recognition or a big old house on the one grain of sand? If in the process of focusing on those things, you lose eternity in heaven, which is every grain of sand above and below the water, every ocean of the world, people need to invest on this one grain of sand for the long term, eternity, because heaven is real and so is hell. And if you do not do God's will, if you do not obey him, no matter how you try to describe it. You're doing the devil's will. And the devil wants to kill you. He wants to punish God because God beat him at Calvary. He wants to kill as many of God's children as he can. Mm -hmm. That's why he likes to kill the little children, right. subjecting them to pedophilia, subjecting them to abortions, because he knows that God loves the little children most of all, because the little children are more godlike in their purity at birth and in their first few years than we as the older children are because we've been subjected to so much nonsense and garbage from the world. Right. So, I don't know that I'm sitting here telling you that Lynn Wood is 100% right. I'm probably not. I'm imperfect. But I know that I search hard for what God's will is. I know that I have been, uh, in different ways, people point things to me, and I know that it's, it's God saying, pay attention to this. Right. If God came down today and said, hey, Lynn, I'm God, 
That's why we have a heart attack. <laughs> right. God talks to you through your heart. Amen. He lives in your heart, the spirit of God. The devil attacks you externally in your brain, mm-hmm. creating all kinds of nonsense mixed in with truth. It's kind of like a computer, garbage in, garbage out. Yes. But if there's good and bad in your computer, it's going to be harder to figure out what to do. The devil wants to complicate your life. If something's complicated, it's harder to understand. And if it's harder to understand, it's harder to know what to do. That's why you see a stop sign. It says stop. You know exactly what to do. But if it said stop and then it had part A, B, C, D, and E under it, before you know it, trying to figure out what to do, probably somebody running the side of your car. Right. So I think that we all ought to go back to making our lives simple. If you've got a really tough question, Turn off your brain. Listen quietly to your heart. Your heart never lies to you. It appears that that's what you did last evening, and you spent some time in prayer, and you also uh, looked to the, you know, we were talking last night about the safety in the multitude of counsel. And I always, you know, tell people in ministry, um, I've served in ministry for the past 12 years, that in different capacities. Um, now I'm on the airwaves of ministry and it's a full-time job, but I tell people that there's safety in the multitude of counsel, but your counsel should really only be confirming what the Lord has already spoken to your heart. And that only, well, right? So do you find yeah, that well, to be let, true? Yeah, well, yeah, I do. I do. Well, let, me, let me tell you what a good kind of real-life example of what you are saying, more or less from a spiritual standpoint. I've always said to my lawyers that worked around me and my kids, I said, choose your battles carefully. Because if you try to fight every battle, you're not going to have the resources to muster up to, to focus on the battle that may be the important one. You spread yourself too thin. Mm-hmm. So you try to pick your battles carefully, and then you set a priority. And then you check the box. What's important to the less important to the less important. So. I know that I'm fighting a lot of battles. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of people after me because I'm telling the truth and people don't like the truth. You talk about getting uncomfortable around God, you confront somebody with the cold, hard facts of truth and he'll really get mad at you. <laughs> right. Even when you tell them the truth, they don't want to face it. Right. So I took last night and I realized earlier in the evening that my bar license was threatened. I spent 43 years practicing law trying to help people. I've never had anybody attack me as a lawyer. I've been in 27 states pro-hot VC. I've never had anybody attack my pro-hot VC. And now they're attacking Michigan, Delaware, Georgia. Well, you know, at the end of the day, my bar license doesn't mean that much to me. It's part of the one grain of sand. But I was sitting there struggling and saying, am I putting so much emphasis now on trying to fight the bar that I'm picking the wrong battle? Should I just say, hey, take it? I got other things to do. I wanted to retire a year ago, semi-retire to write, and then I was obligated and I wanted to finish my obligations to Nicholas Stanley. So at the end of the day, if they took my bar license today, I'd say, well, that's a blessing in disguise. I wanted to get out of this crazy battles of the lawyers and judges that's been grueling for 43 years Mm -hmm. and write. 
but I decided that I needed to think about it because my bar license was important to me. It's been important to my clients. It may be that somebody in the future needs my help as a lawyer, so I don't want to surrender my ability to help them. Right. I also worked hard to get through law school. I didn't have any money at 16. I didn't have a dime in my pocket. Mercer helped me get through uh, undergraduate school and helped me with scholarships get through law school. But I worked the entire time, almost 20, 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. I'm not complaining. That's just the facts of life. So my law license means something to me. I worked hard to get it. I think I've honored my profession in the 43 years. And I don't like the idea of somebody besmirching my body of life's work as a lawyer by taking away my law license because they don't like what I said in my exercise of free speech. But I didn't, I didn't make the decision last night and say, well, I'm going to fight for it. I said, I'm going to take it to, to my God, my perfect father, to find out what to do. So I started off the night after telling everybody I was going to stay off uh, 12 hours off of Telegram, mm-hmm. get off my phone, which we all could probably do a little bit more of it be good for us. But I, I, I got back on my phone because I had to to read some of the emails. I've gotten tens of thousands of emails in the last few days. Mm-hmm. It, it breaks my heart to even begin to tell you how much they've meant to me. People describing their own problems. And telling me that I've helped them. People saying, don't give up. Keep fighting. You're fighting for us too. So I read a bunch of those because God uses those emails and those people as an instrument to talk to me. That's how it works. So I started with those emails because I viewed them as, in essence, the words of God being given to me and delivered through other people. And then I read my Bible. I'd had a pastor who had written me early in the day with a number of scriptures, and I read those first because I think that was the way God was pointing me to those scriptures through someone else. Mm -hmm. And then I began to understand that I was not going to quit, not because I didn't want to quit, but the messages I was receiving, both from the emails and from the Word of God, said don't quit. And then I took a few minutes, and I wrote, so now I'm going to go to sleep with my little puppy, Alice. I had probably more sleep last night than I've had in, gosh, months. I haven't slept more than three or four hours a night, probably since mid Late July, I've been working hard, and I've been doing it primarily for the people. People would say, well, you don't sleep enough. I don't sleep, I rest. You can't overrest, you can oversleep. Right. God gives me the stamina I need. Last night, he gave me eight or nine hours sleep. <laughs> I woke up this morning, I had a couple of messages, I read them, I talked to a friend of mine, a lawyer on the phone, and my decision was confirmed. I was 100% comfortable that I would never let them take my law license without a fight because I'm right and they're wrong. And at the end of the day, even if it takes time, right will always prevail over wrong. So that's how I dealt with that situation. Other people may deal with it differently. But I was 100% comfortable that I made the right decision in the right way. I took it to my perfect father. And I listen to him in the ways that he talks to me. 
So I wrote on Telegram today, I'm not going quietly in the night. Amen. They're going to have to come and get it, and they're going to have to fight me for it because it means something to me, because it means something to the people that I try to help with that law license. Can you describe to people or define for us what would be, what's at stake for you not defending your own constitutional rights? What's at stake for all of us? You know, uh, this is going to be rough in terms of the percentages. But in 1776, I think you'll find that about a third of the people in the colonies Mm -hmm. were loyalists. They wanted to stick with the King of England. It was about a third that were patriots that wanted to fight for their freedom. And then there was a third that was kind of in the middle that said, well, you know, maybe maybe we fight for our freedom. Maybe we just hang out and help things get better with the king. They, a lot of people describe those folks now as the freedom freeloaders. Mm-hmm. They want somebody else to fight for them. I understand that. I actually think the same statistics roughly apply today. It's about a third of the people that, for whatever reason, seem to say, well, we'll just put up with Biden or the puppets or the communists, mm-hmm. see if we can survive and have a good life. Mm-hmm. You won't. There's about a third, I think, a growing number that are saying, this is wrong. I don't like it. And they're looking over at the other third, the patriots, saying, do something about it. Right. I mean, I get criticized like, Lynn, why haven't you saved the country yet? Well, I can't save the country. Only God can save the country. Amen. Why haven't you exposed the evidence? I have exposed the evidence. Why don't you get the court to rule? I can't control the court. All I can do is the best I can do one day at a time. But I believe that the third of the Patriots in 1776 won over the the superior armies of the King of England because the Patriots had God on their side. God gave us America. He created it for us. We're a nation under God, and he bequeathed and blessed us with freedom, liberty. And one man in God is a majority. Ask Gideon. He beat 187,000 with 300 because God was on his side. And I believe God is on the side of America and the vast numbers in America that love him and are praying for him to save this country. I think God is on our side. I know he's not on the side of communism because it was formed out of the devil. And the globalists, the people that want to depopulate, the people that want to control the money, God's not on their side either. And they may think for the moment they're in control. They're going to learn in due time on God's time that only God controls this country. And they're, he's not on their side because they're not trying to help other people. They're trying to hurt other people. They're not helping God establish freedom. They're trying to take freedom away. So they need to want, they need to watch out. Because in his time, in his way, God is going to deal with them. I believe that we are in the second harvest. The Bible promises that before Jesus comes again, there'll be another harvest. The first harvest started after Jesus rose from the dead and returned three times on earth. And that was when people believed he was the son of God. And that's when the Christian church was formed. The final harvest is when God comes on. Jesus comes down here as himself. 
on a white horse to the battlefield of Armageddon, and he takes out the battlefield with one breath mm-hmm. and then summons every bird in the world to come clean up the mess. He's almighty God, and people need to know it. He's all-powerful. But God loves the number three. That's his favorite number, perfect number seven. So we had the first harvest. We had the final harvest. But he promised us another harvest before Jesus comes again. Mm-hmm. I believe this is the second harvest. People are worried that we're on the verge of tribulation. That's the devil's time schedule. That's the devil trying to interfere with God's will to have the second harvest. God controls his own calendar. So the second harvest, I believe, before this is over and the, and the tribulations we're going to go through, not the tribulation, but we're going to go through some tribulations. We're going to feel persecution. We're going to have some difficult days because I think God is going to bring us to our knees to the point where we realize that the only thing we can trust is not Trump, not any man, not Leonard Wood. You can only trust God because only God can save you. And when people understand that, we're going to return in the second harvest with more people coming back to God with a country that once again respects and honors and loves God. We're going to have more content with the houses we have and not worry about having bigger houses. We're going to love our families more. We're going to love our communities more. We're going to worship our God more. And we're going to spend more time enjoying the beautiful world that he gave us to enjoy. That's my view of what's happening to this world. Is it going to be hard to get there? Yes. It's already been difficult. It could be a little more difficult, a lot more difficult. Mm -hmm. But God only works for good. So if you wait on the Lord, you'll find that God is going to work for good and all, despite everything you think right now, all will be well. Amen. There's something, there's, in closing, I, I if you're not comfortable sharing this, it's fine, but but I, I've alluded to it. I think you have discussed it on Stu Peter's show, which was phenomenal anytime you're on fireside chats i mean they're just wonderful Stu's a good man Stu's a good man i enjoy talking to him yeah he's great thank you and he um he asked you a question you know about the price of all of this to you personally and i know there was a defining moment from you uh, or for you and i'm i'm asking you for your transparency on this because it absolutely it it changed my life just a few short weeks ago when you shared this with me I cry every time I tell the story, and it can make me cry now. So I'm not going to. I'm going to let you do it if you will. Um, if you'll, well, I want to make way. you happy. I don't want to make you sad. <laughs> well, uh, no, you do make me very happy, sir. Um, but no, I'm not sad. It was sobering. It was very sobering for me to hear the very personal decision that you, the crossroad you came to in your own heart and in your own realization of what exposing the lies, you know, you've, you've been dubbed as it's all over the world. Now, every lie will be revealed. You see it on every social media platform, every handle I follow, every lie will be revealed. And a lot of people don't realize that that is scriptural. That is a God yeah, I promise. I, I can't take credit for that. One. Right. I give all the credit to God. <laughs> it's in the Bible. Every lie will be revealed. Everything that is hidden shall be re- yes. revealed. Absolutely. Light will overcome darkness. If you hide something in the darkness, it'll be revealed one day by the light. That's for sure, whether we like it or not. So, um, but for you, you had a very defining moment where you had to ask yourself if it was worth exposing the dark because it was going to cost you something. I mean, you almost had, 
you know, a lot of women like to refer to Esther, you know, we have our Esther moments, but I think all of us as Americans are in an Esther moment where it could literally cost us our head, our job, our reputation, whatever, family relationships, <laughs> you, right? You, you feel like you feel like Esther and I'm beginning to feel a little bit like Job myself. <laughs> you have actually but, though. But, but if but if he takes everything from me and I get some sort of affliction, I'm not gonna have my face shaken by it. Amen. Amen. And, and I believe I, that. Remember remember what God did to Job. Right? Restored him a hundredfold. But remember this too. Don't remember this too. You may not get your rewards on earth, but that's okay because George Strait is right. There's no luggage rack on a hearse. <laughs> you'll get you'll get your you'll get your rewards in heaven. Amen. But you'll also get them on earth too. God looks after His children that obey Him. Yes, and and He promised that if we give up house, home, family, riches, whatever, for the kingdom of heaven on this side of eternity and the one to come, that we would be richly rewarded. Will you share that very personal moment? Um, really, a come to Jesus, literally moment for you, um, in the decision that you made to share the truth that has ultimately now cost you a lot and in your, you know, people are still in hot pursuit of, of every part of your life. Do you mind sharing that moment? Well, you're talking about the Isaac Cappy key. I am with relation to your grandbaby. Well, my children, I've tried to keep out of this. Kathy Cox got a minute. I didn't like that a bit. Right. There's one thing to lie about me and she did. But then she involved my children, and that was a line that she should never have crossed. So I don't go out and talk about the, the problems I'm having with my children. I've, I've been honest. I mean, they came out in the lawsuit that people filed against me that used to share space with me. Mm-hmm. I've, had, I've, I've, I've had struggles with my kids. But remember, God came to divide us. I really believe that this entire a lot of what's going on in my life will, will hopefully, I pray, will bring my kids to God. And that when they go to God, they'll come back to me if I'm still alive. Or maybe they'll respect my faith and, and, and they'll come back to me. And then in the process, maybe they can watch how I live and maybe that'll help them find God. I want to be with my children in heaven. But I know that God teaches us that if you love your children more than him, you will not see the kingdom of God. Because while we're fathers or mothers to our children on earth, when they accept God, the lineal descent goes from God to them. Mm-hmm. We get out of the way mm-hmm. and assume the right role as being just like our children. We all are children of God. If you love a child of God more than you love God, you will not see the kingdom of God. But I had a decision to make. It was represented to me that when I had this, key that there were a lot of people in this world that would want to get that key not good people that might be willing to kill me to get it and I put out what's called a dead man switch I gave it to a number of people without telling them what it was but telling them what to do with it and who to give it to in the event I died suicide <laughs> I'll never commit suicide. The last act I commit on this earth will not be one that condemns me straight to hell. Trust me. I had to sit there and think, well, what will they do now? Mm-hmm. Could they go and get one of my children or for God forbid, my grandchildren or grandson? Mm-hmm. 
and call me up and say, we got a gun to your child or your grandson's head. If you don't tell us who you gave that key to, we're going to blow their brains out. What would I do? In order for me to accept that role, to potentially expose the level of pedophilia that exists, I had to answer that question of what would I do before I could agree to do what they asked me to do. And I knew that I would say, go ahead and shoot them. I would not give up the people I'd given it to. Because I knew that they'd shoot them anyway. Then they'd shoot me. Then they'd hunt down and shoot the other people. Yeah. That was the toughest decision I've ever made in my life. I'm sure. And I prayed on it. And I knew that God would protect me and he'd protect my children. He would protect my grandchildren. And he would protect the people whose confidence was put into me to keep it under seal and only give it away if I showed up dead. Now, please understand, and pardon me for my emotions, it's a difficult subject, but I'm honest, even with my words and my emotions. I'm not special. We're all equal but we have unique tasks that God assigns to us to perform. God doesn't view my task as bigger than yours, even though in the real world, people might say, well, yours, yours role is bigger than mine. That's the real world's lie. God doesn't figure that one task is important, more important than the other. They're all important to God. They all fit into his plan for the world. So, all I did was to search for God's will on that issue and then to do it, mm-hmm. trusting God. That's why I urge people now, as much as I love Donald Trump, and I think Trump is doing God's will. When I met him on March the 11th, briefly in the Oval Office at his request, he said, I got a couple of things I want you to do for me. Will you do it? And I said, Mr. President, I think you're doing God's will for this country. I love this country. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. That was the day the worldwide pandemic was declared. I didn't hear back from him. I figured he was pretty busy. Mm-hmm. I talked to him a couple times, probably over a month, month and a half ago. And he called me briefly to, to tell me he knew he had won. He'd never conceded. If he had lost, he would have conceded with dignity, but he didn't lose. He's right. He did not lose. And then I spoke to him one other time after I gave a speech down at uh, Wills Park in Atlanta. I think he, he wanted to call and tell me, you know, thank you. It was a good speech. Mm-hmm. And yet I know watching him that he is doing God's will, and I support anybody that's doing God's will. We come together as Christians, believers. Mm-hmm. We work together to do God's will. It takes everybody. That's why I say we're all in it together. But we have to remember that if we don't do it, we won't be re- rewarded for our father for our failure to not help but at the end of the day, if we don't do it, God will do it himself. He's all powerful. His will shall be done on earth as he is in heaven. Amen. So I think that's the moment you were referring to. It is. 
And I and thank you. I don't want anybody patting me on the back saying, whoa, Lynn's a hero. I'm not a hero. I'm just Lynn Wood, a lawyer who loves God, who loves his family, who loves his fellow man, his citizens. And I relied on God. I trusted God that he would protect me, as he says in the 91st Psalm. And I prayed for Psalm 91 protection on my family. And guess what? Here I am, and there they are. They're still alive and kicking. Haven't resolved the issues with my family. Haven't resolved issues that have come up with some of the people I thought were my best friends that kind of abandoned me in the last year. Right. But God will resolve all that. He has their life in his hands. He has a plan for their lives in detail, just like he has for me. So I ended it with the decision, just like I would tell people today. Trust the Lord and wait on him. He will never let you down. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your heart, your faith, uh, the mind of Christ, um, and for being transparent. And um, I think, I, I don't think you understand, and that's fine. It's probably a good thing, but but the magnitude of appreciation that I see, that, that I receive from people, um, you know, a man who, who caused so much divide amongst the GOP establishment people, amongst others, you know, your stand to be willing to stare death in the face for yourself and, and family members and say, I'm walking through the fire and I'm going to come out the other side with Christ, not smelling even like smoke and people still blaming you for election loss, Senate runoff losses, all of that. And I had to have you come on and, and talk about the real uh, motivation behind your heart and your mind and your decisions, your profession, your family, all of that, who you are as a man, as a son of God. I think you're just one of the most misunderstood people in the nation uh, at the moment. <laughs> well, let me, let me <laughs> I don't tell feel you so alone anymore. <laughs> well, let me, let me tell you before you make me too much of a hero because you don't deserve it. I don't fear death. Yeah, amen. So I didn't do something to avoid death because right. death doesn't fear. I don't fear it because I have eternal life. Right. God promised me that. Right. He never breaks his promise. Right. If you don't fear death, you don't fear any person or any event. The greatest people fear that people have in life is the fear of death. Once you accept Jesus Christ and you know that God doesn't break his promises, you know you have eternal life. So if his plan was for me to die, to be a martyr or to be something else, it is what it is. Right. I trust him. I was concerned about others, the people that I had entrusted with the information yeah. and members of my family. Could have even been my friends they did it to. So my concern was never about what they do to me. It was my concern about what they might do to others. So I'm not a hero. I'm just one man who wants to make a difference, I think everybody should try. But we're all children of God. He works through the believers. He works through the non-believers. Mm -hmm. And I listen. I try to surround myself on key relationships with people that share my faith because we don't start off divided. If we start off divided on faith, 
until both sides come to the same place, our differences will grow greater and wider. But I believe that God is in control. And so during the last several months, when everybody sees chaos, I see a plan. And I don't worry about how it's going to end. I try to help people by analyzing things to give them hope, to let them know there are options for it to end well. But I know it's going to end well. And I just want everybody else to try to understand that so they can sleep a little bit better at night. I know people around this country are worried about the jobs. They're worried about COVID, which is the flu, biologically created, also used as not only a biological weapon, but also a psychological weapon where they instilled in you the spirit of fear, fear of death. Mm-hmm. You wear that mask because you're afraid of dying. Maybe you ought to sit there and analyze your faith. Maybe you wouldn't wear the mask. Hello. So I want people to hear from me a message of hope. Yes. I want them to know why I give them hope. It's not me. I give them and share with them my faith in God so that God will give them hope, not Lynn Wood. Lynn Wood speaks truth. That's the handle I have on Telegram. Because I try to make sure that no matter what I say, I speak the truth. Because at the end, just like God says in the Bible, The truth shall set you free. Live a life of truth. Amen. Lynn Wood, man of God, son of God, attorney, extraordinaire, American and global hero in my eyes. I'm allowed to say that. It's my show. I'm allowed to say that. I'm allowed to say that. Well, listen, you can give it to me if you want to. (laughs) I give all the credit and all the praise and all the glory to all my God. I do, too. (laughs) Okay. Thank you for joining us, sir. We appreciate you and and God bless. Thank you, and God bless you, and God bless all the people that are listening to your message. Keep keep getting the word out. Don't be intimidated. Don't let them make you live in fear. Amen. Be fearless. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Okay, guys, so there you have it. I Iron sharpeneth iron, and a brother in battle. There, there's nothing greater, and we are all in battle at the moment. I really hope that blessed you as much as it's blessed me. Lynn's friendship is certainly a blessing. His brotherhood in Christ is a blessing. Each one of you um, are a blessing. I And I cannot express that enough on Telegram, um, how much joy and, um, and resolve and um, commitment um, it brings to Lynn's heart and mind to hear from you from around the globe. It is, uh, it's a blessing. Uh, I know whenever I receive letters of, Hey, just keep going, you know, where thank you for being a voice. Um, it matters. It matters. We live in a very mean world. We live in a world filled with criticism and false accusations and allegations and deceit. It's just the way of the world. It's how it's always been. So I hope this encourages you tonight and that you will find your rest in the same place that Lynn finds his. And if you're not sure about your salvation, about your soul on this side of eternity, so you can live life more abundantly as Christ promised us, 
that you would start to seek, start to ask, and start to knock. Because it will be answered, it will be opened, and you will find. That's God's promise, not mine. And I believe it because I've lived it. I want to leave you with a reminder. Lynn referred to God as his father. That is very important. I bring that to your attention a lot because many of you don't remember this, or maybe it just didn't stand out. I don't know. But it did to me. I've never forgotten it, and I will never, as long as there's breath in my body, allow the world to forget that Donald Trump, as president of these United States, gave a speech at a prayer breakfast just last year. And when I I watched him and I heard him say, Father, and I thought, wow, that was bold. That's different. That was very personal. That was intimate, right? And I know people have speech writers. I'm one of them. I get it. I'm, I, I understand. But generally speaking, unless something's revealed to you by the Spirit, you're not going to say it with conviction. And he did. And I was like, oh, my gosh, all these holier than fake, holier than thou folks, conservatives, Christians making fun of him for, you know, saying two Corinthians or whatever he said early on, you know, because no one's allowed to go from glory to glory. Apparently we're just instantly perfected for some fake Christians. We have fake news, Mr. President, and we also have fake Christians, believe me. And so it bothered me that he was criticized so heavily around his faith because of his candor because of his personality. And we do go from glory to glory. And his mercies are new every morning. And Lynn is going from glory to glory. And I am. And Sydney is. And other, you are. Your children will. That's a promise. That's not an opinion. You're going to go from glory to glory. And God's going to finish the work, the good work that he began in you. That's a promise. And I saw it working in my president. And it girded up my faith like nothing had in a long time. And in spite of words or economies or, or you know, uh, international relations and all, all of that, all of the promises made and promises kept, all of them centered for me. And I knew we were going to be better than okay, I knew my father was at the helm of this ship that is not the Titanic. Certain systems might represent the Titanic, but this nation is not the Titanic. We are not sinking. Systems are, in fact, being swallowed up into the mouth of hell that have served hell. But this nation, you, me, the president, Lent others, believers, unbelievers, champions of liberty, equality, justice for all. The spirit of this country is not dead. We are not sinking. 
as a nation. And when I heard him refer to God as our Father, I thought to myself, wow, if there wasn't a single other job created, if China waged war on us, whatever, I knew that that no matter good or bad, I knew that God was in control and that God lives in Donald J. Trump's heart in his mind. I've never doubted it. And I certainly didn't doubt it from that point forward. So please pay attention to that because we live in a fatherless nation. We live in a fatherless world. And that's important because a lot of you are waiting for God to come down and smite our enemies. And I listen, I pray like David with the best of them, like open up the earth, Lord, because they're getting on my nerves. You know, I'm not perfected in that. Jesus pray and bless your enemies stuff yet. I do it. I do it. I do it. Don't judge me. But I can pray like David, like nobody's business. I'm like, get him, Lord. <laughs> it's like Monica. But he's our father. And he he wishes that, he hopes that, and he wills, actually, that no man should perish. So please turn to your father. Lynn is wonderful. He is a powerful force for God's kingdom. And I believe that's why he's under such assault. He's such a force for truth and for light. An imperfect force. I love it. God's strength is made perfect in everyone's weaknesses. It's beautiful. So beautiful. It's very, very beautiful. So pray for Lynn. Pray for me. Look to your father, look to our father, and know that he's a good daddy. The last thing that Jesus said was, Daddy, why have you forsaken me? Even in that moment, that hour of death, of going into hell for us, for you, for me, for all of creation, for everyone, he felt the weight of the world, the sin of all of us, for all of time. He felt that separation from his father. And because of him, we don't have to be separated. Because of him, because he sits on the mercy seat, we come to him boldly. We go to our father boldly. And we worship him and we adore him and we lean on him and we cry and we cry out for him, and we trust him. I hope this broadcast blessed you as much as it did me. I love you. You guys know where you can follow me. I'm a hot mess. I'm everywhere. I'm on Twitter. I'm still there. I don't know how. I'm surviving. I'm flying under the radar on Twitter. <laughs> I'm also on Telegram, the Monica Matthews. My Facebook is MonicaMatthews.com. You can sign up for my newsletters. I love you. I love you. I love you. I have syndication coming up soon, so that's kind of really cool, exciting. Check out Stu Peters. He's amazing. Um, You can find him on Telegram as well. All right? Be good to your neighbor, beginning in your own mirror. And remember, if you're an American, act like one.